0: One of you said to me recently, that we shouldn't rock the boat. But ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, I am a boat. rocker. rock. rock, rock.
1: Good day, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boot rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to, the Sons of Liberty Radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at Sons of dot com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns about a hold to the book, the Bible. As the authoritative word of God, glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. com and also SonsofLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio. Head over to com and you'll see two videos at the top of the screen. One on the left side is Bradley's show from the previous day, so if you didn't get to see that, You can check that out up until 3 o'clock this afternoon, Eastern Time, at which time he'll be live in that little area. And then on the right side of the page is where we're at. Click on the play button, load up whatever device you've got. Look for the Rumble icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Click on that, and you can join us in the chat on Rumble. Got a lot of friends over there on Rumble who join us each day, and we appreciate your support over there. We're also streaming live to Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. That's the channel. Be sure to subscribe there. And then also on BeforeIt'sNews.com, top of the page. Right up under where we're streaming live, you can sign up for our email newsletter that goes out once in a day between 7 and 8 Eastern. All the articles we have at sonslibertymedia.com for that day, including the morning show archive. And then finally, if you agree with our message, you'd like to help keep us out there. There's a donate button at the top of the page. Click on that, make a one-time donation, or you can partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of liberty. And uh, we appreciate everyone who does support us. Even if you don't give money, if you pray for us, if you encourage us, many of you have sent me. Just encouraging messages in a letter or email or any of these kind of messages, you don't you don't know what how how much energy that gives you. I've often said uh, when I worked for other people, um, hey, you know it's great to get a raise. Everybody can use a raise, but just coming behind somebody and patting them on the back and saying good job. Or, boy, you really helped out. And those kind of things, they're, they're worth gold to the person uh, that you do it for. So uh, we appreciate your support very much. Now, today, we're going to be, t- you know, we've been on this thing about the Federal Reserve, uh, the lawless money that we've encountered. And that has largely propelled all of the lawlessness that we have in our country and even in the world is lawless money. And we pointed back to scripture, you know, God says that an unjust weight and a measure is an abomination. You know, you'll often hear preachers talk about sodomy being an abomination. We'll talk about the shedding of innocent blood being an abomination. But what about lawless money? Not many preachers go there, do they? And yet that is a really a foundation for why we have so much lawlessness in our society that comes out of the heart of man uh, is having lawless money. Now, with that said, we've also been around this whole idea of 15-minute cities, the smart cities and such. And I read an article recently over at technocracy.news by Leo Homan. I, I, I think that's how you pronounce it. If not, I'll get a correction on that in just a moment. But uh, it, it was called Trump's Call for Building Freedom Cities Mimics Technocracy. And uh, we had on the show previously Patrick Wood, who runs technocracy.news, and we talked about uh, something that was a couple of years ago, I think, that we w- that we uh, had Patrick on. And I asked him if he would come on to be willing to talk about this because as you know, here at the Sons of Liberty, one of the things that we've done is we pointed out you've got your two-party system, which John Adams saw as a great evil, and in the one, they come at you with the mask off. That's the Democrats. They come at you full full Marxist, socialist, communist, the whole isms of the ists and all the other with them. And then you've got the Republicans act in such a fashion, kind of like uh, the Harlem Globetrotters and the Washington Generals. They're the Washington Generals. They're just kind of controlled opposition there they still let everybody do anything but they say all the right stuff or at least sometimes they do so with this it looks like what's happening is there's a marketing pitch by trump calling something freedom city cities which is basically the same thing as the 15-minute city so to help me bring all this out is patrick wood from technocracy.news and it's my privilege to welcome you back to the sons of liberty good to see you
0: man yeah good to see you this is a big topic
1: yeah yeah <laughs> now i gotta tell you uh I play. I played this video, and I'll, I want to play this first. Well, let's let's wait on that. I'm going to play the the Trump spiel that he gives on the freedom cities in mm-hmm. a minute. But can you help people understand who may who may be new to all this? A lot of our audience is is very educated in this, but can you help people understand what is a 15 minute city, and is it the mm-hmm. same thing as the smart cities, and and who mm-hmm. is really backing those kinds of things?
0: It is. It's very much like a smart city. Or I don't know if you could say all smart cities are not necessarily a 15-minute city and vice versa, but uh, a smart, uh, or a 15-minute city is definitely a quote-unquote smart city. It's going to be saturated with technology to, to monitor and track people ad infinitum. Uh, this whole movement comes from uh, the, this technocracy uh, cartel that we see throughout the world that are bent on moving everybody into cities for one thing and then controlling them once they're in the cities as products as uh, raw materials for products even and we see this uh through agenda 21 to 2030 agenda the new urban agenda all of this comes from the united nations basically but there's a story behind the united nations as well how did they get a hold of this doctrine where did where did they get their intellectual Um, encouragement from. And, you know, we'll talk about that maybe in a second, but that's it in a nutshell. 15 minute cities means simply, you'll get everything you need within 15 minute radius of your house, wherever you where or home, wherever you live. That means your groceries, your doctors, your services, other services where you work, et cetera. They want you to be within 15 minutes. Now they don't say that's 15 minutes driving your car, which would be 15 miles, maybe if you drove high speed, but it means basically you're going to walk or you're going to ride your bicycle, or you're going to take whatever mass transportation they have, that 15 minutes, if you understand. So uh, people that have, uh, where this has been applied, like in England right now, the people in England are having a just an absolute hissy fit over this 15-minute city stuff, because you know, it means you can't you can't travel outside of it or you're going to get penalized. You're either going to pay a penalty or you're going to uh, get in trouble to have to, you know, maybe pay uh, carbon credits or something like that. If you have to get outside of it, it's absolutely insane. Wow. I, and oh, now what I want to do,
1: Patrick, is I want to go to this little there's a meme that that's in this article. And I remember I got on a binge I don't know how many years ago it was to read 1984, Animal Farm and Brave New World. I think I read them all in like a week uh, when I had when I actually had time to read. <laughs> and um you know Brave New World seemed to me like it was one of those things that was more um understandable for me as to where we were going as a society and you only got 1984 if you were really passionate dissenter <laughs> uh you were mm-hmm. willing to get out there you know constantly you that was the only time you got the jackboot does the rest of it was you can just be manipulated around by the media or other people and this that, and the other but this is one of the memes from this article that we're talking about and this is Aldous Huxley 1931 this is what he said the perfect dictator would have the appearance of a democracy. In other words, even our, our the framers of our constitution rejected a pure democracy. They they didn't do that. They did leave a democratic process. We do use you know uh, the the majority vote to elect elect uh, representatives and stuff like that. But uh, he says it would have the appearance of democracy, but would basically be a prison without walls in which the prisoners would not even dream of escaping, it would essentially be a system of slavery where, through consumption and entertainment, does that sound familiar, everybody? (laughs) The slaves would love their servitudes. Now, is this, in fact, what's going on in the United States? Because I see it real clear uh, now that that is exactly what's going on here.
0: Yes, it is. And uh, just as a a point of um, correction on that, Brave New World, of course, was written in 1932. That was the same year that technocracy was uh, being created at uh, Columbia University in New York City. And he was looking into the face of technocracy when he wrote the book, Brave New World. Uh, this book uh, that this quote is lifted from was, was a review he did later. I think, I want to say it was 1958. I kind of think it was, but it might have been a, a different year. But it was Brave New World Revisited where it was a smaller book but he he went and you know kind of you know had thoughts on okay what what he wrote about back in 1932 he's fairly young then and so several years had passed and um this is what he concluded about scientific dictatorship what if a scientific scientific dictatorship ever got a hold of the world this is what it would look like and there would be no uh, you know you wouldn't get free from it and basically you'd have to learn Kind of like the Stockholm syndrome, you'd kind of have to learn to love your servitude, and it would be normal. It would be your normal, your new normal of life. Yeah, and it
1: says in essence. So what we're seeing is, and I know Leo tied this in with um, uh, with with the with the obviously the cities that are there. But then when I was talking with Geo and we we had a little bit of conversation off air about the CBDCs. You can see how they go together. If you can't get out of the place. And then all of a sudden you become such a sinner. Well, we cut you off from even having the ability to do the things you're talking about, like go to the store or even be able to work or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, we're talking about a total control of human beings. And I guess if you dissent too much, not just that they cut you off, they might just cut your head off too in the process. I mean, is that a far stretch?
0: I, I, you know, they're not doing that yet, at least not yet. here. They might be in some Eastern countries, but they're not doing it here yet. Thank goodness. Um, but yes, punishment is called for. For those who don't obey, um, there will be punishment of one sort or another and say, well, what are they going to do? Hit me? No, it's not that they're going to hit you. It's that they're going to. Well, let me give you an example in China. China now has a, um, a digital currency, official nationwide digital currency that is tied to your social credit scoring system that they have over there, and um, the money that they've created based on blockchain is programmable down to the dollar this or the money you on whatever this in your wallet, your digital wallet so if you're, if your social credit score goes down, you do some bad stuff, the government said, naughty, naughty, <laughs> you know you're, we're not going to let you get away with that. Well, they're going to start taking privileges away from you basically. And they can do that because you won't be able to get on the high speed train with your pass. You won't be able to, you know, get into the, maybe the better class apartment that you're living in because you know, you were good last week, but this week you might not be, and you're not going to get those privileges. Also, it may, it can mean that they can, they can limit where you get to spend your money or they can just take it away altogether. Just give you a, a haircut, so to speak on your money. Uh, you know, people say, "Well, that's fantastic." I don't believe that, but listen, all the central banks around the world now that are looking at central bank digital currencies are are also focusing on the programmability of that money. That's a new concept for people. It's like you know, just imagine that there was a wire attached to the hundred dollar bill in your wallet <laughs> that that uh, that I don't you know, have. <laughs> that you don't, have yeah, I don't have either. But you know, you just imagine that there's a wire attached to it. And that everywhere that dollar or that hundred dollar bill goes, they can see exactly where it goes. They know you can't spend it over there on that, but you know you, maybe you can spend it on this over here. Uh, the idea of programmable money is totally foreign to most people, but it's it's absolutely uh, disastrous for society if it if they get locked into this. If they actually do it, uh, they will have micromanagement control over ba- basically every human on Earth. That's been the goal for fifth for well almost a hundred years now. That's been the total goal. And if you remember in in the book Brave New World, there was no political structure. All you had was the Alpha Plus. They just ran stuff from the top down. Yep. And they had a hierarchy, kind of like an org chart. They had the Alpha Plus, and then they had some some uh, some As, you know, A whatever they call it, alphas, and they were the ones who kind of run the different divisions of society. But it was all top-down management. There was no political system, no discussion whatsoever. You either did what they told you to do, or you you were punished. And that's the way technocracy is. That's what it was from the get-go in the beginning. And that's, and still, this is the this is the idea today. Just imagine if the whole world were an Amazon warehouse and you had cameras on you 24-7. And you know, everywhere you put your hand, whatever, bzzz, nope, don't go there. Go over here to this one, you know, pick that box up, whatever. And oh, you're not moving fast enough. Blah, 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 you know, a little shock to the old butt there. Um you know just just imagine this kind of mentality being used on the entire planet that that was a picture that nineteen eighty four or excuse me that uh, brave new world put out by the way, just a scientific dictatorship purely yeah yeah, and i,
1: I remember following up those books that i that we were talking about uh, before that I read like in a week in avenge uh with Neil Postman's great work um amusing ourselves to death, and how he yeah. kind of saw that playing out the same way uh the way things were moving, and it does seem like that it almost seems like this Exactly that quote that Huxley is saying, people are already in the land of the free, the home of the brave. The people don't realize that they're being human trafficked every day and that they are not free. They think they're free because, well, I'm not in a a prison cell and I can go where I want to. I can go eat what I want to eat. I can go see what I want to see. And they think that's freedom, but they're always tied back to I, I. I, I think I'm seeing it most clearly to the to the lawless money system because without that most people don't function. They don't get food. They don't have a house. They don't have electricity. They don't have a phone. They don't have. They can't go to their neighbors because they can't get gas. If you don't have the money system in place, you can't survive in that society. Mm-hmm. So that's right. So it, their point is a total control. I mean, it. They want they want Winston, but they want him in. In, in the Brave New World, right? Is that, am I missing something there? That's what they're wanting, right?
0: <laughs> well, that's right, yeah. The, the The difference, of course, between 1984 and, and Brave New World is a Brave New World uh, controlled people through pleasure, and uh, 1984 controls people through pain. And we know now there can be uh, used effectively in, in whatever situation. You can use pleasure on one hand, but if people really step out of line, you can use some pain. But that was the primary difference between the two. And they they both ended up with autocratic control over the subjects that they were attempting to manipulate. Now, who are the main
1: people, just so people understand, who are the main people that push this? And when I say main people, I I know their organizations. Um, The World Economic Forum is one that pushes it. The United Nations pushes it. I think through sustainable development goals, they're kind of doing it that way. Uh, yes. they're, they're even throwing some, some form of spirituality in uh, mingled in with that because we've done a bunch of shows with Lynn Taylor on that. Um, mm-hmm. But who else is promoting these kinds of things? Are there other organizations? I'm sure there's other nonprofits, NGOs and such who are doing it. But are, what individuals would people be familiar with, at least here mm-hmm. in the United States, who would be promoting these kinds of things?
0: Yeah. You know, uh, Klaus Schwab wrote a book called The Great Narrative. Um, and I learned something from that. It was a boring book. It was a horrible book, as a matter of fact. But I learned something from it. And that basically, that is, whoever controls the narrative controls everything. And the narrative is, by and large, a con job. If you, but if you can get people to believe a certain thing or certain things going to happen, or whatever, you can manipulate and control them through the narrative through the use of the narrative. So this narr- the question, the big question is, who who spun this narrative in the first place that it should be followed by the people of the world? Because you have what whoever's at the top doing this, you have all of these other sub-organizations that have bought into it and they're just compliantly going along. Uh you could probably list hundreds of NGOs, for instance, that are just that's all they do is they think about this stuff. You know, they think about sustainable development, they think about climate change, they think about uh, you know, sustainable policies, resilience and inclusiveness and all that kind of stuff. Um, are they the perpetrators of the narrative? No. They're they're the carrier outers of the of the narrative. Is Klaus Schwab the only person that creates the narrative, uh, of, you know, that people follow? No, I don't think he is either. I think there's a, a group of people even higher than that that are actually creating the narrative that everybody that we see now down here on Ground Zero is is um, is following. But the narrative is the key here. And, you know, this is what you hear. Whatever the, Whenever the narrative is established, put it this way, you hear this 24-7 on mainstream media. That's all you hear, the narrative, the narrative, the narrative. Until people believe it, you know even I think even Hitler was said, if you tell people a lie long enough, they'll they'll finally accept it as the truth. <laughs> but you know the it sounds simplistic really, to talk about the narrative, but the story that people are fed as propaganda really nonstop eventually it perk it 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 penetrates your mind and then it penetrates your your heart where you believe. And then it penetrates your actions and activities, and that's what that, that's what this whole thing is about: getting you to behave the way they want you to behave without you being forced to behave that way.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, I, when you're saying that, I'm thinking about as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're to be those who have the good news. We bear the good news: the crucified Christ, the one who has come to save men from their lawlessness, and it's their lawlessness that imprisons them. Right? He said, "To whom you submit yourselves." you become slaves. Uh, If you Mm -hmm. submit yourself to sin, you become slaves to sin. If you submit yourself to righteousness, you become a slave to righteousness. So we're to counter that narrative with the good news. And so that's why some people may say, Tim, why do you bring these stories out and you bring all this stuff? And then at the end you come up and you say, but the Bible says this, this, and this, and you call men to repentance. Well, it's to show you what, what's wrong and then to show you the way God has set things up that we might follow in that way. And the more I think about this, it's not that the Bible doesn't talk about cities, it does. It talks about the use of money, uh, legitimate money, gold and silver. Uh it talks about hard work, it talks about all of these kinds of things, but largely it refers to an agrarian kind of culture uh where people are completely dependent upon God in the fact that they go out and they do their labors, they build their houses, they plant their vineyards, they plant their gardens. They raise their flocks and all that, and they're dependent upon God. Now, now that we've kind of understood what these 15-minute cities are, and they're basically pleasure palaces for everybody to live in, they're reality TV for the common Joe, right? I mean, I think that's probably what they are. Um, That's put in place. Um, It is to, in my opinion, lull people not only into tyranny here, but it's to lull them into hell uh, because they are seduced by their pleasures. Now we have this this statement by Donald Trump that I want to play. And then I want you to kind of elaborate. Maybe we'll stop here different places or something. Cause it's about a three minute presentation that he gives, mm-hmm. but he's promoting what is basically a 15 minute city, but he's calling it a freedom city. Take a listen. pursued big dreams and daring
2: projects that once seemed absolutely impossible. They pushed across an unsettled continent and built new cities in the wild frontier. They transformed American life with the interstate highway system. Magnificent it was. And they launched a vast network of satellites into orbit all around the earth. But today, our country has lost its boldness. Under my leadership, we will get it back in a very big way. If you look at just three years ago, what we were doing was unthinkable. How good it was, how great it was for our country. Our objective will be a Quantum leap in the American standard of living that's what will happen. Here are just a few of the ways we can do it. Almost one third of the land mass of the United States is owned by the federal government.
1: Okay, I want to stop right there because this is a very important issue. Yes. Almost a third of the land mass of the United States is claimed. He's making the claim here, just kind of like he made a stupid claim about the Supreme Court makes law with Roe v. Wade. That's nonsense. He's saying it's owned by the U.S. government. Well, what do we see in the Constitution? Let me just bring this up here, and I'll have you comment on this, because this I think this is a big part of making technocracy work is government-owned land. Uh, This was back, I wrote this, and I I just pulled this up because I had all of it together Mm -hmm. here, but I wrote this when Ammon Bundy was uh, confronting Megyn Kelly on Fox Mm -hmm. News about how the US is supposed to get any land. And so what we read is in Article 4 Section 3 Clause 2 of the Constitution, the Congress shall have power to dispose of and we've had a Ron Gibson on that means to you know get that get rid of that land that was under their possession to get rid of it to the states or to the individuals. This is what uh, the the federal land patents were for. Dispose of and make all needful rules and regulations respecting the territory or other property belonging to the United States. And then we go to that power being limited by Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17, which says to exercise, and again, this is a power of Congress, not the, it's not the uh, executive branch. They can't just go in there and say, hey, we're going to take this land. This has to be done a certain way and it has to be done by Congress. The exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over such district, not exceeding 10 miles square, that's DC as May, but ses- uh, session of particular states and the acceptance of Congress become the seat of government of the United States and to exercise like authority over all places purchased by the consent of the legislature of the state. So the U.S. government cannot obtain land unless it obtains it through the legislature of whatever state has the land, in which the shame shall be for the erection of forts, magazines, arsenals, dockyards, and other needful buildings." And so one of the interesting things was these guys went up to Oregon, and they said, you guys have a bird farm out here. This is not constitutional. You can't claim any of this kind of stuff. Is the land grab really key here in instituting technocracy? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I'll say, okay, I'll you're, say you're
0: absolutely me. it is. And okay. originally, and I've said this a thousand times, you, you may have heard me in interviews and stuff say it, the simplest way to understand this whole thing, if you, especially if you go back to the genesis of modern globalization, which is back in 1973 when the Trilateral Commission was formed, they swore that they were going to create a new international economic order. It's all over their literature. We we wrote about it extensively back then, myself and uh, Professor Anthony Sutton. And <clears throat> we we documented exactly what they said they were going to do. We saw at that point, that basically it was a land grab. But now, and that was just a simple nationwide land grab, but now it's gone global through the, through the eyes of technocracy to, to, uh, to corral, best word to use, I think, to corral land all over the world, grabbing the resources of the world and keeping those resources for themselves, uh, whether for their own personal consumption or making things to have other people consume. But when Klaus Schwab says, you'll by 2030 you'll own nothing and be happy, this, this is just evidence of the land grab, the resource grab that's been in play for 50 years. And it's been very successful. And part of that we can see in how much land the U.S. government owns. They have no business owning that much land. Every time that they've taken land away from a state, it goes out of the state's tax rolls they they don't have any ability to commercialize that land to collect taxes on it, et cetera and now I think uh something like i want to say three hundred and sixty or seventy million acres million acres are owned by the federal government. much of it is locked off, fenced off with gates you can't get in um yeah, yeah this sounds insane but but if you know maybe you could the best way to explain it i think. Is to remember the I'm thinking of the movie 007 movie called Goldfinger. I think it was the first one in the series. Goldfinger was a madman that loved gold, and so he he bought massive amounts of gold. Then he has this plot. He's going to put a atomic device and he's going to rob uh, supposedly going to rob Fort Knox and he's going to uh, put a atomic device in it and blow it up. Is what it turned out to be in the end. And his logic was not to steal the gold in Fort Knox at all. His logic was irradiate the gold in Fort Knox, making his gold worth everything in the world. <laughs> he had all the rest of the gold <laughs> on the outside, and Fort yeah. Knox would end up with nothing, right? So every time this, this land like this, these 300 million plus acres are taken offline, they're not available for anything. They, they can't, you can't do anything with it. There's no commercial value to it, no development value to it. But it is to them, and they've done this around the world. They've done it with oil, with minerals, they've done it with forests, they've done it, you know, you look at the United Nations with all their heritage zones and stuff they've declared, you look at what the World Bank has done with IMF and stuff to take, you know, take massive tracts of land offline and in, in various countries around the world, especially in South Africa, or, uh, Africa and in South America. Um, this is intentional, very intentional to grab the resources of the world. That's the simplest way to understand modern globalization. And we can thank David Rockefeller for that. I think in my opinion, Yeah, uh, he was the one that really had the idea in the first place. And you talked about money. We probably ought to bring this up. You yeah, talked please. about money. When, when the trial commission was formed in 1973, that was right after gold was decoupled from the dollar. I was one of those original gold bucks, by the way, I was, I was a crazy person on the outside looking at everybody else. They, everybody thought I was nuts, but, Rockefeller being the chairman of Chase Manhattan Bank at that point he's not stupid he may have been evil but he was not stupid as the as the manager director owner of a bank a giant bank i think maybe it was number 5 in the world at the time he had a problem because he knew if his wealth was in dollars was in money that eventually because now we have fiat currency he knew mathematically it was going to happen someday that the fiat currencies of the world would evaporate and go up in flames, and he would be left with nothing. He had to ask the question, okay, what else can I do? If, if, if money is going to be, I better start making my move now. If money's going to be burned up one day, because fiat currency will always be burned up eventually, then what can he do in the meantime to protect his wealth? Well, own the resources, just like Job in the Old Testament. You know, you had cattle, you had sheep, you had land, you had timber, you had oil and everything else, gold mines. Uh, Own the resources, then it doesn't matter what kind of money's on top of it. If you own the resources, people will come to you and give you whatever you ask for. And it doesn't matter if it's a barter system or if it's wampum or notches in a stick, they own the resources, you don't, (laughs) <laughs> and you will do whatever you have to do to get it from them. So, you know, the, this 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 money angle, I think, was really big when Rockefeller said, we're taking off in this direction. And what he has created along the way, is he's dead now, of course, but what he created was a system of sustainable development, Agenda 21 and 2030 Agenda ultimately. He gave it to the United Nations. They took it to the world. The United Nations has done the same thing on a global basis that we have done on a local basis here. And collectively, so many resources have already been taken offline and put into this global common trust, in their view, this global common trust that they will have access to, but only them, not you and I. We won't be able to do anything with it, but they will have access to it. And they mean to literally to deny the rest of the world the right to access any of those resources directly. Incredible.
1: Incredible. Okay, let's play a little bit more here of what Donald Trump has to say with regards to his freedom cities.
2: With just a very, very small portion of that land, just a fraction, one half of 1%, would you believe that? We should hold a contest to charter up to (laughs) 10 new cities and award them to the best proposals for development In other words, we'll actually build new cities in our country again. These freedom cities will reopen the frontier, reignite American imagination, and give hundreds of thousands of young people and other people, all hardworking families, a new shot at home ownership, and in fact, the American dream. Another big opportunity is in transportation.
1: Okay, so, so let's look at this one first. (laughs) <laughs> somehow he thinks that the job of the presidency, which it's only a couple of paragraphs that the job description is. And the main one is mm. to make sure the law is enforced. It's not anything about creating jobs. It isn't thing mm. about having a home. It isn't anything about building a city or any of this stuff. So again, Donald Trump to me is a carnival barker. He's P.T. Barnum, modern P.T. Barnum. And uh, I think he's owned by the banksters. I think they bought him out in the nineties um, and probably big pharma after the big jab you know, promotion that he did after pimping all that out to kill as many people as it did. But here he's talking about building these cities and I'm sitting here going, what in the world? And this was the this was the comment that I got from somebody. I told you about it before. I'd like to to see Mm -hmm. if you will elaborate a little bit. This person said, it's more like civilian construction corps. It's not that. It was the conservation corps, I believe, Mm -hmm, in the 1930s to bring back the economy and the road construction crews that brought the USA back from the Great Depression. These are the opposite of 15-minute cities. But what do we know about that, Patrick? This was part of FDR's great uh, new deal that he had. Was bringing in all these guys. And if people aren't familiar with it, in you know, the history, I'm going to have this link up so you guys can read about it. There's a video on here. But here's a FDR with the guys from the civilian conservation corps. How many of you guys out there think that, um, you know, this was a good idea uh, that, that, that the government all of a sudden make all these jobs, uh, which I got to tell you, you go over here, I think it was in this one. You, you see, it looks like a, it looks like a military kind of camp. Uh, that's set up and these guys are going to be doing what do you make out of that uh patrick as far as what his claim is that he's that he's wanting to do
0: well it's patently unconstitutional number one i wish uh trump would pay more attention to the constitution but he doesn't this uh this idea of this this land ownership that the government claims um i did some math on this once and i figured that uh if the government would just simply get rid of this land if they would sell it they not only could probably pay off national debt but on the other hand just if you wanted to stimulate the economy just imagine what would happen if every family unit in America was gifted five acres of federal land Yep. just imagine imagine the economic activity that would take place you want a house go build a house you know you get, get yourself a saw, make some timber, that's what they did 150 years ago. They build yourself a house, um, and it's your land. You can do whatever you want to do with it. But no, that's not, that's not no, that's not the thing here. No, let's build a city instead. <laughs> let's build a city. And there's nobody in the in the world today that would design a city from scratch. It's not a technocrat. None of them. The only, the only people designing cities right now are smart city designers, period. So if he builds some freedom cities, they're going to be smart cities, guaranteed. There's no no other way. But should the government be in in any position to build cities in the first place? No, absolutely not. That's there's there's no way you could you could say that that's something the government should be involved in. And secondly, he says he's going to do it with public-private partnerships. There's your Public fascism again. partnerships or P3. That's part of the United yeah. Nations. That's where yeah. that whole concept came from. It's kind of a fascist bonding of government with private entities. Public-private partnerships are not public. They end up being private, or if the partnership is uh, blown up, the public entity is left with a hubris to pick up the pieces that got destroyed along the way. But public-private partnerships are something that, if if there was ever a law that would be enacted in America that would really help, that would be one. No more public-private partnerships forget it you want to do something in your city your town your county your state uh you figure out a way as a people to raise the money to do it and you just ignore these companies from the outside that want to come in and control everything just don't do it. it it might be inconvenient in the short run but in the long run we would really restore freedom the way it's supposed to be in our country yeah
1: i i, I agree with that in fact um, one of the things that I was thinking of when we were talking about going down this road of these, these kinds of cities that, that they're envisioning as having is my mind went back to Genesis chapter 11 because this in essence was how they get the people together. And we read there mm-hmm. and the whole earth was of one language and one speech. And now we have the idea that they obviously were all speaking the same language, but we had Brent Winters on and he says it goes further than that. They were all saying the same things. They had the same mindset. They had this hive mind mindset, if you if you want to call it that. They were all mm-hmm. thinking the same thing. It came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shiner. They dwelt there and they said to one another, go to let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, go to let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven. And this is the part that gets me. And let us make a name lest we be scattered. That word scattered is really the idea of shattered or dispersed abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And this is when God comes down. It's not like he didn't know what was going on, but he he comes down, he sees what they're doing, and he breaks up their language so that they can't get together and be, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better term, brainwashed with the same propaganda that's come from their leader and saying, we need to do this instead of being dependent upon the creator to provide for us. If we do what he says to do, Mm -hmm. then now we're just, we're being dependent upon each other completely to the point where we're going to build a city and we're going to ensure that, you know, we have all this industry and everything so we can keep ourselves up and Mm -hmm. we, we have no need for God. We'll be gods ourselves. And that seems to Mm -hmm. be exactly what was being portrayed
0: there. Well, it is, and it's interesting to to consider the the deception that happened that that led them to the idea that they could build this tower in the first place. There was a new technology that was in, that was brought to the scene. They'd never heard of it before. When it says bricks uh, when it says "Bricks or stones." yes, they built formerly they built with stones and mud or whatever they could find, stick them together, and that's how they would build a house. You could, you could blow them over in many cases. A little bit of earthquake, strong wind, it could blow your house down. When the technology was discovered to cut square bricks or oblong bricks, whatever, but with a flat surface. And then they figured out they could use tar, which is very sticky, but slightly flexible and stick them together. Wow. All of a sudden you could build a multi-story building in a heartbeat and the thing would never fall down. So they extrapolated that technology to the point, said, "You know what? We could, with this baby, we could build a tower right into heaven. Let's get at it. Let's do it." And everybody just, "Oh man, yeah, we can do that. This is great stuff." And they were all deceived, but they were deceived because the technology led them to the conclusion it was possible when it was not. (laughs) And we have the same thing today, where people are leading with technology, promising it can do things you know, grandiose things, but it doesn't have the staying power to do it successfully. But people think that it can. And that this is what Trump is holding out here with these smart cities, you know, with this, oh, we're going to be great again, build a city. And, you know, you have to think back to the record of cities in the Old Testament is very poor. Very poor. You had Babylon initially, you had Nineveh. You had other cities that were you know, that were conquered and destroyed because of their sin. You had Sodom and Gomorrah. They got in big trouble as cities. And then in the New Testament, especially in the book of Revelation, of course, you have the city of Babylon again itself. And all of these, you know, you say, well, what's with the cities? You know, you don't see the farmers rebelling. <laughs> Guess God, you That's right. Cities. That's exactly right. So you know we we need to be very careful when you're driving people towards the cities you need to be very careful you know that it could get it could go sideways very quickly
1: yeah i i tend to kid my oldest daughter uh she's the only one who likes the cities she likes the cities everybody else is like yeah, just leave me alone. I like it out here in the rural country area that I'm in. <laughs> and uh, that—that that is definitely not a city boy. I, I just, that's not me. Uh, let's pick up the rest of what Trump says. I think maybe we can get through the rest of this and then we'll carry on from there as to right. what's going on here.
2: Dozens of major companies in the United States and China are racing to develop vertical takeoff and landing vehicles for families and individuals. Just as the United States led the automotive revolution in the last century, I want to ensure that America, not China, leads this revolution in air mobility. These breakthroughs can transform commerce, bring a giant infusion of wealth into rural America, and connect families and our country in new ways. Likewise, through our strategic national manufacturing initiative, which is going to be very big and very, very successful. We will turn forgotten communities into hives of industry, producing the goods we will no longer import from China. We will also have a major initiative on lowering the cost of living with a special focus on lowering the cost of a new car and lowering the cost to build a single-family home.
1: Okay, okay, I just... (laughs) First off, he, he gives the Jetsons concept. We're going to have flying cars. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember, back to the future, what was that? 1980s, right? Yeah, and uh, what was it, 2017 or something like that? They were supposed yeah. to have the flying cars on. Everybody made a big thing. that was in the news. Mm-hmm. And here's Trump talking Jetson stuff. Uh, we're going to have flying cars. We're, we're going to beat China, at, but we want it to be affordable. <laughs> now, how are they going to do the technology and make it affordable when now to get a gas car, it costs about as much as I paid for my house to get a brand new car. If you buy a new one uh, and you're going to get one that flies now. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about the traffic jam. You can just get mm-hmm. up and fly over it. How is that going to be? A, how is any of this even possible? Is he just talking out of the seat of his pants here? Or mm-hmm. is there really a concept to do any of this stuff?
0: no i'll tell you what i how i view this this is and again this is just my studied opinion i i I realize some people would probably get a little huffy on it but you know we've been we've had a lot of discussion about the populist movement in america and to some extent i would probably consider myself part of that you probably would too in a way it's like hey government can somebody just pay attention to us out here where we live and just quit quit beating us to death oh i wish they wouldn't pay Um, attention to us that's that's me (laughs) <laughs> so, really, just don't even look at me. <laughs> just leave me alone. But, um, uh, Pop, uh, Trump rode in initially on the wave of populism, and he said the right things that appealed to the populist uh, people in America. And he won the first election, his first election by a landslide. I warned back then that there was a risk of technopopulism becoming the main theme of his, you know, of his legacy. And I think we see this here with this with this announcement about flying cars and smart cities and and whatever, you know, lowering the cost. When I mean it's just unreasonable. The whole thing is probably very unreasonable to say. But technopopulism is the blending of populism with technocracy. That's mm, that's, that's a dangerous thing in Europe is highly defined, highly defined in europe there's books been written on it written a lot of papers. techno populism is more dangerous than anything and part of the reason that it is appeals to people the populist movement by itself does not have any expertise so to speak to do anything like they can't run the septic systems in the town and you know they can't run the you know communication systems and stuff they want things to work, but they they as a as a movement don't have any institutional uh, expertise to make it work so they have to reach out to technocrats to do it people like anthony fauci for instance a classic example of a technocrat the government you know the populist movement caves that okay you do it you take care of that and this is in my opinion i think trump is expressing his affinity for techno-populism right now i think i think that's what we're seeing Because he's talking populism out of one side of his mouth, and then he's talking technocracy out of the other side. That the blending of the two is really traditionally, I think, would fit the definition of techno-populism. Okay.
1: So would you say he is... How shall we, how shall we put this channeling Nimrod at this point? Is that what, is that what, I mean, would that be a good, would that be a good way to say it? <laughs> Seriously. Well, it
0: could be. Uh, there's a lot of people channeling Nimrod right now <laughs> around the world. It's not just him. Yeah. Uh. <laughs>
1: well, no, I, here, I, here's where I'm most concerned. Uh, I, you know, a lot of the people that have supported him have had their eyes open to him now. Um, they still, so many of them still were trapped in that, We got to vote for the lesser of two evils. And you keep telling them, where does the Bible tell you to do that? It doesn't tell you to do that. God, that you never vote for the lesser of two evils because it's still evil. And you're going to get what you're going to get. But Trump talks about, oh, you know, years ago, we were doing a great economy, blah, blah, blah. And people forget this guy left office almost $10 trillion more in debt. How does that result in a good economy to whereby you can trust him when he starts talking about stuff like this? How does that work?
0: Well, the two main, the two main technocrat initiatives during his administration and, and I have to say the the technocrat crowd has been operating in both left and right governments. They don't, they don't care who's in power. They'll operate with it. They'll, they'll be like a, a parasite that will attach to anybody anywhere at any time. But during his administration in particular, there were two main things, technocrat initiatives goals that were so important to the advancement of technocracy. The first was 5G. And the rollout of 5G. And I'll never forget the press interview he had where he was uh where he was giving the master rollout to 5G around America, with all the people standing behind him, the linemen all dressed up in their gear and you know, whatever. We're gonna and and the idea was we're gonna beat China. We have to beat China to the to the punch here and roll out five G before anybody else. So the rush was on and the stampede was on, it's a gold rush, whatever. We gotta do it right now. And he threw buckets of money. To roll out 5g and buckets of policy changes took place to do it that was a major technocrat initiative because it allowed for the connection of the internet of things as the internet of sensors throughout the world nothing to do with cell phones it care less it was connecting the devices in the world that are designed to collect data from people and you know the system the society the cities etc it made smart cities possible so the second thing he did that was just major to the technocrat transhuman meme was, of course, um, Operation Warp Speed. And standing in front of Anthony Fauci, instead of, you know, kicking his little keister off the set altogether, that he brought the, the, the messenger RNA shots in, allowed for them to be passed through the FDA without any restraint, completely experimental. And then use the military of all things. You know, what's wrong with FedEx and UPS? I don't know. They did, used to do a fine job, but use the military to, to, be, to, to enable this program to deliver the vaccine on an express thing, quote unquote vaccine, to all the country. Those two things right there did more damage to us in terms of technocracy and transhumanism than anything anybody's done probably for 40 years. Mm. It was just huge. Now, there were other things as well, but those two are giant standout things. He never should have gotten involved with 5G. He should have just kept his mouth shut and let it happen the way business might happen. And, of course, with the vaccine thing, same thing. Just leave it alone. Just keep the government. has got no business in that anyway. People should make their own decisions, what they want to do or not do. And they should tell the truth. But for all of the, for all of the stuff, for all of the lies that we had along the way, we never had a champion stand up. Certainly not in the Biden administration, but even even in in the Trump administration, we never we never had somebody stand up and simply just tell the American people the truth about something. Hmm. And they should have.
1: Well, did, would another thing that could be tied in there be in between that? And that was when he had uh, his son-in-law Kushner take and develop that tracking software for the phones, because that was the first time that I heard it, yeah. things roll out to where. Certain phones, you couldn't turn it off. It was just, it was going to be on. Yes, was that a part of that as well?
0: Absolutely. And, and I have to say, I don't know if you remember seeing the clip, but uh, but Kushner is an outright transhumanist. Yeah, sure. He's, he said it. He flat out said, I'm a transhumanist. I, I believe I want to you know, say uh, death is a sickness and I want to conquer the sickness.
1: Yeah, he wants to conquer it a, a way other than the way God has provided to conquer it, and well, that's yeah, through His Son, the Lord that's, Jesus. That's right. But that's not surprising because he's part of an antichrist organization anyway, with Lukovic, and so is his his uh, his wife.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, all of them were pushing um, his wife and uh, his wife and Donald Trump's wife were both pushing the socialist uh, or the Soviet style education system mm-hmm. um, put out by the UN. And so, so they were continuing on with the agenda, just like what you were saying there. Uh, we got about three minutes here. I want to see if I can play the rest of this and get your comments on this one.
2: And they will be beautiful homes. And I will ask Congress to support baby bonuses for young parents to help launch a new baby boom. Baby Finally, boom? Finally, I'll what? challenge the governors of all 50 states to join me in a great modernization and beautification campaign, getting rid of ugly buildings refurbishing our parks and our public spaces, making cities and towns more livable, ensuring a pristine environment, and building towering monuments to our true American heroes. Very importantly, I will also make sure all of these new places are safe. We love and cherish our police. They will do the job the way they have to. It is time to start talking about greatness for our country again. I will dramatically increase living standards and build a future that brings our country together through excitement, opportunity and success. Thank you very much.
1: All right. So he's going to make these cities safe and it's not with you yes. defending yourself. It's with police. It's, it's agents of the state that's going to make it safe. Now I don't know anywhere and I'm not taking a shot at cops, but I, you know, I think back and I think back to when police became what they were. Uh, I believe the first time you really see them, sort of, so to speak, is with the lawmen who were chasing down the runaway slaves and stuff, and then it grew from there. It sort of seemed like your friendly neighborhood Barney Fife at some times. There were some really good cops um, who basically minded their own business and they only did something if you were, vi- you were really violating God's law. Then it starts picking up with man's laws, t- insignificant little things, fining people, which I tell my boys, I said, this is why you need – be careful i said because they're after your money after you work for it if you're going 10 miles over the speed limit they want two or three hundred dollars of your money that's what they want to do so he's saying all these things he's throwing these last things in there and we got about a minute can you hang over for just a little bit if we end maybe a couple of minutes just to get your thoughts on that what's your final comments on what he just said here i'll let you speak and then we'll cut off for the for the end of the thing let you promote uh, the website
0: there well it's we all need hope for sure i mean it's nice to get a hopeful message from somebody but in this case it's fantasy it can't happen the way he says it's going to happen he doesn't have the power to do it nor should the power of the government be used to even attempt it so you know it's a message it's a false hope that he's offering people i don't know who would really buy into this honestly. you know, this Jetson view of the world, but you know, it's really shaky, really on shaky ground here. I, I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people just kind of turned the channel off and said, man, he's, he's slipped it here. Whatever yeah. he's talking about, you know, he can't, you know, just like, this is, th- this ain't going to happen the way he thinks it is.
1: Yeah. Patrick, so- hang on. Uh, everybody join us on sons of com for the rest of this. We'll just hold Patrick over a few minutes. Tell people where they can find out more about you real quick. Got yeah, About 10 seconds
0: technocracy.news. Everything's there,
1: technocracy.news. Okay, all right. Uh, Patrick Wood is going to stay with us just a couple of minutes so you can catch us on suncelebritymedia.com Bradley will be with you at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, suncelebritymedia.com And Lord Will, I'm going to be back with you in the morning, 6 a.m. bright and early. Talk to you then. See ya. Okay. I want to welcome everybody coming over from red state talk radio and uh, Patrick, I, I, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but obviously we got to, we got to say goodbye to those people on the radio and, and welcome the other ones coming over. But if you would finish your thought there, and then I got one final question I'm going to ask you uh, once you're done.
0: Well, all I was saying is that the promises that Trump is making here, uh, it's, it's, it's an encouraging message on one hand. You want to believe it. I mean, you just say, man, that would be really great. You know, just kind of, Sit back and envision what it could be. Said, I love that kind of world. But it's not in our reach. It just flat out is not in our reach right now. It, is not, it does not line up with reality. And we need leaders. I, I'll just say this as a blanket statement. We need leaders who are willing to face reality as it really is, not as what they want it to be, Amen. not as what they dream it to be, but as it really is. And if there are problems to be solved, and there are, we need people to face those problems realistically and figure out real solutions for them, not just Pollyannaish statements like "We're going to be great again," and "We're going to," you know, "We're going to make the world wonderful because we're going to build cities and smart cities and 15-minute cities and freedom cities or whatever they want to call it." This is not this is not facing reality that we're in right now, and most people, I think, are just really they're pressed down enough where they're really sick. Of people promising, you know, th- stuff they can't deliver and blowing smoke at them. I think people are just really fed up with it generally. Now I don't know how it's gonna resolve. I'm not saying I'm not too interested in the political scene right now, anyway. But as I said before, Trump has fallen into this techno-populism concept, uh, which is a thing. is that you can you can look it up on the internet, techno-populism, all one word, and you'll find out it's very, it's very ugly. It's it's not a good thing because it's a blending of populism. Where the people are getting together, hoping for, you know, to change things, to dialogue and discussion and whatever. And then tech- technocrats move in uh, and they tend to take over the whole thing and end up calling technopopulism. Uh, very dangerous. I reject that whole concept basically myself personally because it involves technocracy and technocrats.
1: Okay. All right. And let me ask you this before I get to the final question, Are because we made mention a little bit of the money and we made mention of the land. Yeah. Are UBIs in this as well? Would they be contained in the in the, these freedom cities or these
0: 15-minute uh, cities, smart cities? Universal basic income, I presume, is what you're yes. talking about, yes. UBIs. <clears throat> UBI was a concept developed in 1932 at Columbia University within the original framework of technocracy that's how they're going to be
1: Incredible.
0: It. Yeah. I mean, that, this has been around forever and you see people like, uh, well, like Sam Altman, uh, thinking of, uh, Andrew Yang who ran for president uh, a few years ago. Um, people like Elon Musk and others, they're all calling for universal basic income. So how did they come up with that? Is that a brand new idea? No, it's not. It was, it's been around for almost a hundred years. And the, the mantra has never changed. The, the trajectory has never changed. Technocracy was what it was back as a replacement economic system for capitalism and for enterprise. It was set in stone back at Columbia University in 1932, and it has progressed over the years. Very, very little has changed in the concept. Uh, they were going to use originally uh, energy as a currency. They wanted to create a, an energy script to give to people. They wanted to get rid of money altogether. No, nothing to do with money, price-based economics. They wanted to give everybody an energy script so that they could pay uh, according to the energy that went into something to make it. We see carbon credits. We see carbon offsets. We see carbon this and that and carbon credit cards all over the place. This has not changed either. It's the same thing from the 1930s. I just wish more people would, would go back and study what happened back there Because if they did, they would see exactly what's happening now. These people have never left the room. They're still there. Yep. And this is what they're pushing for now. Universal basic income is part and parcel of technocracy from the 1930s. Interesting.
1: Very interesting. Very interesting. Okay, here's the final question. Because we don't like to leave people with just the problems. we we went over the problems. We've shown what the problem is. That's not going to work. So what's some solutions? Because... Uh, here, I'm of the opinion that you don't go look into Washington to sort this out. And I don't even know that you go to the state house to get this sorted out. I think you gotta mm-hmm. you gotta deal with this stuff in your local community. You gotta deal yes. with this among your neighbors and stuff. Yeah. And I think we've been pulled away largely over what? I don't even know how my my days go by so fast uh that I sometimes don't even know what day, month, or year <laughs> I'm in sometimes. Uh but it, it, it's kinda like for the past however many years we've had social media it's it's sort of pulled us away from one another we don't have closeness in our commun- we do see it when there's like a hurricane or something you'll see people out helping each other and stuff like this but in large measure people are sort of distant from one another in many ways and social media is a way it's mm-hmm. kind of done that and i've seen mm-hmm. people's attitudes you know flare mm-hmm. up on social media they say things to people they would never say to them in their if they if it were face to face so we see these kinds of things. What are some things that people could do? Do you have some bullet points that people could start looking at and saying, how can I get involved with this to push back against that?
0: Yeah, I think, um, I think there's a couple of things that we can do that are tangible. Uh, to use a computer term, firewall. Uh, you know, a firewall means the protection around the computer so hackers can't get in, right, with, with bad stuff. <clears throat> but uh, people that live in a community – Uh, could be a small community could be a city even could be a little bit larger it doesn't matter but uh the only way you in a community can put a firewall around your city or town to keep this stuff out and to throw out the bad stuff the bad policies that are there is for you to get a seat at the table within your community uh we have neglected this generally for probably 50 years that we've been told, no, I'll let the experts take care of it. You you don't need to be involved. You don't, we don't want to hear your opinion or whatever. But this needs to, in my opinion, this needs to change radically. Cities are making a difference and towns are making a difference by by people getting involved with the civic, uh, you know, scene, the civic discourse, whatever, to, to get a seat at the table, to express their opinions and thoughts. This is all, of course, according to The concept of the First Amendment, free speech, freedom of the press, freedom to assemble, etc. Those were unalienable rights, the founders said. They were given by God, not by man. Well, how come we're not exercising those across America? How come the church isn't exercising? Christians and churches exercising these things. It's not that you go out and shake your fist at somebody and call them out and call them names and stuff. That's not it at all. But the place for civil discourse is wide open right now, you know I, I think back to Daniel for instance if, if Dan if anybody could have had a right to shake his fist at a, at an institution it would have been Daniel, but he didn't. he went in with a calm demeanor and just said, "I am who I am, and I ain't no more <laughs> and he just did his thing he he got into a position of influence by being reasonable by being smart by being you know uh, savvy to people, by, by managing people correctly, uh, treating people with dignity, yet still able to direct them in certain ways and so on. And, you know, we need, uh, literally, we need a nation of Daniels to set things right in our country. And the only way you can do this is for people to get a seat at the table in a local community. It's not enough to protect yourself individually. And I've heard people in the city say, oh, I've got dehydrated food. Oh, I got gold. Oh, I got silver. I got guns. And okay, so you got all that and you got your little plot and whatever. Have you ever considered what your neighbors have or don't have? <laughs> you know, are you you really oh, exactly. going to survive there by yourself because yeah. you're an isolationist? Get out of here. You need to get your community going in the right direction. And that means you need to get out and talk to your community. <laughs> so connecting back again, connecting with people one-on-one. One in a hundred, you know, one in a thousand, whatever. We need to connect with people. Absolutely, we need to get involved and promote social discourse where we live. That's how we can put a firewall around our communities, and at least, if the rest of the world goes crazy, at least you can maintain some level of sanity within your own community. Amen.
1: I, I think that's great, and that's also what we call discipleship. This is that one of too. the yeah. This is one of the things that I've yeah. said. You know, I've promoted tacticalcivics.com, David Zuniga and his group down there Mm -hmm. in Texas. And one of the things they want to do, they got two main things that that happen with the people. They say they want justice. They say they want solutions. And they say, okay, let's restore the county grand jury. That gives you the ability to bring forth evidence and indict. And if you Mm -hmm. indict, then let's restore the constitutional militia, not the federal Mm -hmm. militia that has been established now, but the real constitutional militia, which is just. The men in the community to mm-hmm. go and exercise the the warrant for the indictment or to do do the real yeah. police work. They're the law enforcers according to our constitution. Mm-hmm. And it's it's simple things, but it requires the people to be able to do them. And one of the things that I see now is people are so bound that the husband and the wife are out working. Um then you know they're they're being hit with an immoral property tax on, you know, big items and this, that, and the other. And I I've said I think any kind of direct taxation is is unlawful because it threatens the person's liberty and it threatens their property. Um but they they have all this going on then they're scared to have kids because they say oh I can't take care of them even though they've got mm-hmm. two brand new cars and cable yeah. TV and all this other stuff. But you you understand that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. you you've got this you've got this stuff put in and it's like I don't have th- I can see them now. I don't have time that I can go be on this board over here. Or I can go to this county council where I can do these kind of things. And mm-hmm. I think that's in large measure by design They're The, the Marxists target the family, they get them split. Um, they're happy for them to live together, uh, but they don't want them functioning as a unit. And so then that makes the family a prey, which then makes mm-hmm. them easier to control in these kind of situations. But I do think dealing locally, building that community up is a great uh, great exhortation. Is there a final word you want to leave the audience with? I'll give you the last word, and if you will, tell them again where they can find out
0: uh, more well, about thank you. you. thank you. Thank you. I want to say that's why I created a nonprofit uh, several years ago called Citizens for Free Speech. And we've developed training programs that can help people get a place, you know, get a seat at the table, get involved in civic discourse. Many people don't know how to communicate anymore. They really have lost the art. I mean, think of all the families that broke up during COVID. They can't talk to each other anymore. They don't know how to communicate. Well, we've got a great training, training class uh, course, actually several courses that we, uh, that we offer to people to be able to be active in their local community. We talk about things like not only interpersonal communications, but also things like citizen journalism. How can you reinstitute a means of communication with the community, with, uh, with journalistic tools, even printing, just simple printing of newsletters and stuff to get certain stories out. Um, there's lots of things people can do. And, you know, we want to just make a, make the smorgasbord available to them to train people how to do it and let them go out and do stuff in the community. We don't, we're not so concerned about the policies that people want to change, but you know what they are. It's your community for Pete's sake, go figure it out. Uh, but the thing is you need to be involved And in our director, national director of training says, if you don't have a seat at the table, you are what's for dinner tonight. Mm, mm, boy, that's powerful. That's powerful.
1: Tell people where they can find out more about you on, on their website.
0: Well, technocracy.news, there's all kinds of information there. There's an about page, and, uh, of course, there's stories posted every day. I have a Substack account also. You can see the quickening report on the right there that um, is a a premium account, of course, but at a small charge. Um, But it's the way people can support me. I post several things a month over there on the quickening report. And you know that's it. I'm doing a daily, uh, daily TV show for um, Worldview Weekend uh, on technocracy and transhumanism. I call it the Quickening Report. But uh, the point is to get uh, to get videos out there, scattered all over the place, talking about technocracy, transhumanism, and the practical side of surviving it, and also what people can do about it.
1: Okay. All right. Patrick Wood, technocracy.news. Hang on. I'll say goodbye to you off air. Guys, catch Bradley at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, com, And then we'll be back with you in the morning, Lord willing, 6 a.m., bright and early. Talk to you then. See you.